Good morning, friends, both uh, online and here in our sanctuary for, I don't know, second or third week. Glad that you are here. We are beginning a new series as that video teed up. And let me start by saying this, you know, there is um, many of us, you know, in our day, Christians I'm talking about, many, you and me, we are held captive, almost against our will sometimes, um, but certainly we, we participate in this. We're held captive by the dreams and the desires of our prevailing culture, right? It's always nipping at our heels. But to be a follower of Jesus, we are called to a radically countercultural way of life. That's what the Bible says. We're called to a radically countercultural way of life. But this life, we talk about it in this series, is not one defined by what you are against. It's a life defined by what you become, okay, in Jesus Christ. It's a life defined by what you are come. And this life is offered to us to get this life, we'll call it being a disciple. You get there by offering your time to God, by offering your heart to God, by offering your very self. That's the only way this offering, the Bible might use the word surrender, this is the only way we can actually embrace the life that the Bible offers, right? It's a life about who you become, who I become. Now, I borrowed this name of this series from an experience, okay, rooted, that we are going to offer as a church, launched in the third week of September, lots more to come. I, got a, I sent out a letter Friday, maybe you saw it that we'll be talking over the next many weeks. This experience called Rooted is a small group experience, right? It's done in your small group or you create a small group. It's 10 weeks. It's an intensive experience. It includes spiritual disciplines, practices, experiences, theology. It's meant to be done in community. And it is a way, an important way, to open your life up to experience the kind of life that I'm talking about today. The life of a follower of Jesus is not defined even by what you believe. That's very important. Certainly not by what you're against. It's what you become as a follower of Jesus Christ, right? What you become, what I become, and this rooted experience is gonna help us, and we're gonna offer it and launch it in September. We've had about 150 people go through it, over the last year, our staff went through it as well. Now, over the next seven weeks, starting this morning, I'm just going to give a series on the key themes and ideas that are found in this material to help whet our appetite and prepare some of us for this experience in a month or so. The first one, where the Bible starts... I'm going to I should say this. I'm going to start where the Bible starts with the most important question. Certainly, it's the most important question in the Bible. Um, but I would say it's the most important question in life itself, whether you're a Christian or a person of faith or not. And that is, who is God? Right? Was, who is God? If, if we're called to worship God, I'm talking about the God of the Bible, who is he? Who does he reveal himself disclose himself to be. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Who is God? And to do that, I'm going to go to a very famous passage of Scripture. 
I think, to most of us. It's in the book of Exodus. If you want to have a, have a Bible with you, you can open up to the book of Exodus or follow along as I read on your, um, in your scriptures, in your Bible, or on your phone. Exodus 34, verses 1 through 8. The Lord and his servant Moses. Exodus 34, 1 through 8. Follow along as I read. The Lord said to Moses, okay, I'm in the middle of this big story, the book of Exodus. Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones and write on them the words, the Ten Commandments, that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. This is a serious moment. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him and carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once. And worship. Now, this is a defining moment in the Old Testament. You, Muslim would say it's the defining moment or a defining one in the Bible itself, the giving of the Ten Commandments. Okay? But it's important to note, and you would have not missed this, that this didn't happen once, but it happened twice, right? The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first one, right? We don't always see this in the movie. We don't always remember this. But the Ten Commandments, this great moment of covenant where God says in the covenant, right? Not just the Ten Commandments. The covenant was longer than that. Some of you may remember that, right? There's hundreds of commandments. These are the Ten Moral Commandments, the big ones, the big ten, you might say. But in it, it reveals something about who God is, right? It's not just that God is the creator of the universe, like he's abstract. He has a quality, he has a personality, he has a, a character. And his character is reflected in these laws. So this is a central, important moment, right? Who is God? Who is the God of the Bible, okay? But it doesn't happen once, it happens twice. And on the second trip up, Moses not only gets another set of tablets and, you know, sort of, you know, take two, right? The same words are written on the second set of tablets that were written on the first, but something else, which is why I'm in this passage this morning. He also gets a revelation, right? A deeper revelation. I just read it, verse 6 and 7 in particular, of who God is. Now, let me get back to that. That's the main reason I'm looking at this passage. Who is God? But I want to think about the context for a minute. Why did they have to go up twice to get these tablets? Why did they have to go up twice? Well, many of you know this, but they had to go up twice because Israel had its very first major crisis, major failure. The story's not that old when you're only in the second book of the Bible. And 
it's Moses. When Moses comes down from the mountain, everything had gone so good. The ten plagues, the Red Sea. Now they're at the mountain. They're, they're an independent people following this wonderful cloud. And God says, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show you who I am. I'm going to show you how to live. That's what the covenant is. And this great moment happens and Israel has this capitulation, this great failure, right? You know the story, Exodus 32. They, they get very anxious, Right? They get very impatient, and they basically say to Aaron, Moses' um, assistant, Moses' brother, who's down there on the base of the mountain, when Moses up and said, listen, we, we don't want to wait for this Moses anymore. The person who represents God for us, our physical representation, our leader, he's gone, and we don't know if he's ever coming back, and we're anxious, and we're nervous, and we're impatient, and we need something, some physical, tangible thing to, to, to focus our mind and our hearts on to worship, or we're not going to make it, okay? This is, they're showing their, their weakness, their immaturity, their, their, their fear, and so they, they put together this golden calf, okay? Moses comes down from the mountain, many of you know this story, and when he comes down, right, before he even gives them the Ten Commandments or throws them down, they've already broken the first three commandments, right, if you, if you're, if you know the commandments. In the second commandment, which is the heart of this breaking of the commandment, they did, the, the golden calf was not a representation of a whole nother God, like, you know, the God of the Bible and, you know, the God of some other, you know, pagan religion. They were worshiping the Lord. Aaron said about the calf in Exodus 32, Hear, O Israel, this is the God who delivered you from Egypt. They were worshiping the God of heaven, but in an inappropriate way. Okay, that was the breaking of the second commandment. And it's something for us to be very careful to think about because we often come to church, we worship God, we're, we're Bible believers, but is the God that we're worshiping actually the God that's in the Bible? That's the point of this sermon to a degree. Now, why did the nation fail? What's the point? Why two times? Well, they failed because... They had to come to realize what you and I have to come to realize, okay? Which is there's a big difference between an initial expression of faith and a changed life, right? Just because you believe in God, just because you believe in Jesus does not mean that your life is going to change, certainly not overnight, which is what these friends realize, right? And the most important factor for having a changed life is getting to know God more and more. G knowing who God truly is, not just the guy up in the sky, not just this almighty, all-powerful force, but what his character is. Knowing his character is the most important factor in being able to grow and change and to become the person that God wants you to become, that God wants me to become. And listen, what's so interesting about this great story, the people of God, they're not the only ones that have a crisis. So too does Moses. See, Moses is very angry. Moses is frustrated. Moses, after all the work that he's done, this whole thing seems to be falling apart. But then he has a private conversation with God. We didn't read it, but it's just in the chapter before this one, where he says, God, listen, I got an issue too. Verse 13 of Exodus 33. He says, I don't really know you very well either. If you are pleased with me, okay? This is after the breaking of the, of the first set of tablets. Teach me your ways so I may know how to continue to find favor with you. 
Remember, this nation is your people. He's saying, listen, yes, I'm upset with these people that they gave in so quickly to their, to their, you know, their, their, their fear and their indecision and their impatience. But he said, I don't really know who you are either. In fact, in these verses, we didn't read them just before the one I read. He says, Lord, you know me by name. Because God had said to Moses twice in the passage, I know you by name, which in this culture doesn't necessarily mean something as the same in ours. When it, when it says somebody knew your name, it meant they knew your character. And so God says, listen, Moses, I know your name, which means I know your character. I know the inside of your life. I know your heart. And Moses says, you've said to me now twice, you know my name. And he says, but I don't know your name. That is, I don't know who you are. And God says to him in so many words, well, listen, come on up, okay? Come on up again, and I'll show you. In some ways, we're all in that boat, which is why I'm looking at this passage this morning. So who is God? Here's the first thing he is in this passage. He's a God of second chances, right? Isn't that so beautiful? Then the Lord said to Moses, you know, you might think God would say, enough. These people are so incredibly, um, you know, superficial, so incredibly quick to capitulate, so weak. They've gone over. They're in revelry. There's all this confusion and, and idolatry. Let's just wipe our hands of the whole thing, right? God could have done that. This isn't worth it. And God says, listen, after he has a conversation with Moses, all right, go cut two other stones out, right, like the first ones, and come on back up, and we'll write on these again. Unbelievable. He's a God of second chances. And the essential nature, this is very important, listen carefully, of this revelation. This, what he says to Moses, he says, listen, verse 19, I didn't read it, in verse 33, I'm going to pass in front of you, and my goodness is going to go before you, and I'm going to proclaim my name. Now, when we read the passage, he doesn't say, my name is John, my name is God. That's not what he means. He means, I'm going to tell you what my character is. I'm going to give you what you need so that you can actually go further in becoming what it is that you want to become in relationship with me. I'm going to reveal myself to you, okay? He says, so this is, so this is very important for us, guys. God hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, contrary to some, you know, street theology. It's the same God, Right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you want to know who he is, and Moses says, I cannot go farther in this journey unless you tell me. He says, okay, I'm going to tell you. And he passed in front of Moses and he said, listen, here's who I am. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Listen, that's not what God does on a good day. That's who he is, okay? This is what he's saying. Is this the God that you worship? Is it the God that I worship? You say, well, pastor, that's great. What about verse 7b? Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children to the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Let me say something about that. Of course, a holy love there's a righteousness to it, right? There's an appropriate jealousy if you're married. There's an appropriate place for judgment and, being, and protecting love and, and consequences. But let me say something about the God of the Bible in this great revelation. Wrath, if you want to call it that, or judgment, is not a continuous aspect of God's nature. It is a particular response to historical situations. In other words, what you get in 6 and 7a is, this is who I am. 
I'm love and compassion. I forgive sin, you know, for thousands of uh, generations. And uh, abounding in love and faith is maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness. That's who I am now. At times, my love requires me to exercise discipline and judgment. But the weight of this passage, the weight of this revelation, what I'm trying to say to us this morning is, it's on God's love, it's on his grace, it's on his compassion, and it is arguably the primary way that we know God and that we relate to God. That's what it's trying to say to us, right? That's why he's saying, listen, if you want to know who I am and you want to relate to me, if you want to grow in a relationship with me, a living, breathing relationship, then this is how you do it. Which is why, if you think about it, it's on compassion, it's on forgiveness. It's on, in other words, said another way, if you or I are a little skittish about going to God with your sins, if you and I are a little skittish about being honest with God with our troubles, well then, we're real, it's a real impasse to having a relationship with God. Because that's who he is. You could say, one could argue, that the only way you can know God truly is at the point of your sin, is at the point of your failures, is at the point of your weaknesses. Okay, Think about that for a minute. Because we are wired as human beings not to want to talk to other people about that. We live most of our relationships, in it's, it's, it's human nature, with a sort of mask on, or I can use this metaphor, right? Where we're not really letting people know who we are. In marriage, we have to sort of give in a little bit. We can't help it. But we don't do that because of judgment. But see, if you, li- if you work that same system with God, you're never going to know him. That's the point. Okay? It's a part of his ascent, which is why, by the way, some people would say this, you've heard this before, the sin below all other sins, right? There's all the catalogs of sins. You might say the sin below all other sins is pride of all kinds. Why is that the sin below all other sins is pride? Because pride in its many manifestations keeps you from the humility, the honesty of coming before God and saying, I need your love, I need your grace, I need your forgiveness. And that's why people, prideful people, and we all are at some level, are the people, are the spiritually weakest people. Okay? Does it make sense? That's why Moses, in verse 8, it says, Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. I'm not so sure this is the first time he ever really worshipped, even though he'd known God for many years. He says, I think I finally understand who you really are. Wow. Love, compassion, mercy, forgiveness to a thousand generations, okay? A thousand generations. I had the opportunity um, a couple weeks ago to sit down and have a conversation with a, a member of our church, Chris Fossum. Some of you would know him. He had quads. That's the quickest way to tell you who the Fossums are. Um, but um, it, it was on a podcast that I do. It just got released yesterday. You can listen to the whole conversation. But we were in the middle of this conversation. We are talking about his life. And he said to me, at an earlier time in my life, he said, I had a strong fear of failure. Okay, when he was a college student, high school student. He said, it, was very, it drove me. And that great fear of failure really drove me into some self-defeating, self-destructive behaviors, right? The, this fear of failure, never wanting to fail, whether it was in school or football or whatever, drove me into some, into some bad behaviors, which it often does to us to deal with that fear of failure. And he said, by the time he was at the end of his college career, he said, I had this self-reflective moment that I had become the man 
that I never wanted to be, right? As he thought about his failures and the behaviors that followed that. He said, I just had this moment. He said, I've become the person I never wanted to be. And he said, as, you know, things would happen in life, as they often do, at that very time in his life, he met the woman he never thought he would meet, right? This <laughs> his wife, you know, the woman he would end up marrying. So at the time where he had this realization that he'd become the man he never wanted to be, that's when he meets the woman that he never thought but always dreamed he would meet. And he said, now what? I said, what'd you do? And he said, well, I realized, listen, I'm not gonna spend very much time with this woman if I do. She's gonna see what's behind the curtain in my life. So I said, what'd you do? He said, I just decided I'm just gonna lay it all out there and just let the chips fall where they will. And he said, I did that. It's very hard. And he said, I said, what did she do? He said, she just listened and she put her arms around me. And he said, in other words, she, ex- she heard that and accepted that. And, and he said, that was a transformational moment in our early relationship. It's a tra- it was a transformational moment in my life and certainly in our uh, eventual marriage. He said, because what she did in that moment was this. She said to me, I know who you are, but I love you anyway, okay? I know who you are, but I love you anyway. That's the essence of what's being said right here. This is who God is, okay? God does hate sin, but he doesn't, he, he's not mad at you. He's not mad at me. He hates sin because of its destructive force and nature in your life and my life. First, first John 4, 18. Listen to these words very carefully because it's important for what we're talking about. This is the Apostle John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect or mature in love. Now think very carefully on what this verse says. There is no fear in love, or there shouldn't be. And he's saying, if there is fear in love, now we, we have it with each other, right? If I want to tell my best friend or my wife or my husband something that I shouldn't have done, I'm conf- making a confession. Of course I have fear because there's a sense of judgment. Now, the more I understand my friend or my spouse or, or whoever, my boss, has a sense of my back, has a sense of, as Jess did for Chris, I love you anyway, the f- more freedom I have and there's less fear. But what he's saying is, in true love, there is no perfect love, perfect meaning complete, mature, drives out fear. Why? He even gives you the reason. Because it has to do with punishment. But see, here's the great insight in this sense Exodus 34, 7b doesn't even apply to the character of God. I hope, I'm, hope you're all with me here. Because in Jesus Christ, the cross that's above my head, right? He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The whole point of the Christian message, the whole point of the gospel, the whole point of Jesus coming into the world was to bear the punishment for human sin. All of it. The white lies the major sins and everything in between, he bore the punishment for your sin, every single one of them. And if you are a Christian here today, you never, ever, ever have to have fear when you come to your heavenly father, ever. 
because fear has to do with punishment. And if you come to God today, tomorrow, because of anything going on in your life, and there's this sense of fear, it tells me something. That's you're a bad person or I'm a bad person. It tells me you don't know who God is. You're not relating to him in the way that he has revealed himself. Because in Jesus Christ, there is no punishment. Period. Paragraph. Okay? A God of second chances. The second thing this great passage tells us, who is God? He's a God of great deeds. Now, this is so important. I'm, I'm, I'm putting so much in this message, but let me just say this. Exodus 32, 33, 34. You get both sets of tablets in those passages. It's all part of one story. Is one of the most important passages of Scripture on this whole thing about who is God. But it's also one of the most difficult right, passages because it's talking about the nature of God. And it's, there's no bigger subject. And we see through a glass darkly, we're, you know, we're, 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 we're crawling in the dark in a manner of speaking. Even the Apostle Paul said that. So God is so big, he's so immense, he's so infinite that to know God is, is, is so incredibly difficult. So in any passage, and there are many, but this is a big one, what does it actually say about who is God and how do we relate to him? Now, the words that we just read, verse 6 and 7, right? Moses hear these words. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He hears those. I think you guys know this, but I'm going I'm I'm to mention it quickly. In this strange moment, I'm paraphrasing from the 33rd chapter, when God says, listen, okay, you're right. You need to get to know me better. I know your name. You don't know mine. You, so this is what I'm going to do. The words we read come out of a, an experience that happens at the end of 33 when God says, listen, they're already up on the mountain together, right? He says, listen, this is what we're going to do, Moses. You know this story. You've seen the movie, right? He says, listen, I'm going to put you up in this, I think the word says cleft in the rock, kind of a, a little mini cave, a, a, a crack in the rock. I'm going to put you in here, kind of strange, and I'm going to pass by, and I'm going to remove my hand, and you're going to see my backside. Does that make any sense to anybody in this room? I don't know. But what most, so that's what it is. And out of that experience, the end of chapter 33, chapter 34 is what is, 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 is a parallel passage. It says this is what happens. Moses hears, so really it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an auditory revelation more than it is a visual revelation, okay? Now, but here's what many people would say about when I say he's a God of great deeds. Follow me with this, very important. Is that, Moses could only know God and his goodness, I'm going to show my goodness, by what he saw after it was over. Okay? And I'm going to pass by. Many scholars even use these words, if you read commentaries. They say Exodus 34 and 33, what Moses gets is the, ready for it, after effects. Right? That's a common term, I guess a film term. But that's what scholars, they say, what Moses gets is the after effects. God is so holy, he's so wonderful, he's so amazing, he's so hard to appreciate, plus he's holy and we are unholy, that the best you can get is the after effects. And that's what Moses gets. Let me try to explain this. I, just as a, uh, another way to try to think about it. I, I have three brothers. My oldest brother... Um, Two of my brothers live out of town, but he lives about an hour and a half away. 
not quite an hour and a half, but he comes to town often. You know, maybe once a month for various things. Some, you know, family thing, friends thing, party, whatever. And often when he comes here into Rochester from the southern tier, he'll stay at my house. Now, if he stays, stays for a 24-hour period, you know, say, then I'll see him. You know, I might be at work, but eventually I'll see him. But probably half the time he comes, he may be coming just to do something, go to the store, pick up furniture, I don't know, do whatever he's going to do. He may stop my house, but I don't see him because I'm not there. But I always know he's been there because he has certain tells, okay? One of is, he's, if he makes something to eat, he, unlike me, he doesn't put the dishes in the sink, that's what I do, you know? Uh, but there's dishes, my, dishes, my sink right now is full of dishes, sadly to say. But he also doesn't put them in the dishwasher, which is not a bad idea, but he always cleans them, washes them in the sink, and then he lays them on a towel next to, the, it's just his way. I don't do that. When I walk in, I know he's been there. He, when he uses the bathroom, you probably hate for me to say this, but he's not watching this morning. But anyway, he, he, when he uses the bathroom, I mean, nothing, you don't, wouldn't otherwise notice. It's all clean and everything. But he always opens the window. Winter, summer, he just, when I know the window's open, because I have air conditioning, you know, I'm, I'm a modern person, you know, but I don't need, I don't open my window in the middle. He, he, the window's always open. More often than, or, or more than once, one time over the course of our many years, I'll come home in my garage, okay, is totally cleaned and organized. I mean, everything's, and I, there's, I know, I mean, some strange neighbor doesn't do that for you, you know, I, I know there's no service for that. I know it's been my brother. See, we often know God by his after effects. Look at verse 10, verse 34. That's what happens right after this passage. Then the Lord said, after Moses bows down, right? I am making a covenant with you. That's what this whole thing is. Ten Commandments, right? Before all your people, I will, now listen carefully, do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people that live among you, watch this, will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. He says, there's only so much I can give you in propositional truth. I want to let you know who I am. I'm holy. The Ten Commandments should tell you something about who I am. Right? Something. But if you really want to know who I am, it's about the after effects. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to do wonders in this nation that you are all going to see that are going to blow your mind. Now, David, uh, you know, hundreds of years later, I could go to so many passages this morning, but David will say the same thing about God. And David had a close relationship with God, a man after God's own heart. But listen to just these three verses, Psalm 145, verses 3 through 6. Just listen to how many times God's works are mentioned. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. This is David. His greatness... No one can fathom. So that's the downside. It's just too big. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of your glorious splendor, of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. Okay, who is God? He's the God who forgives your sins. 
He's the God who heals your broken heart. He's the God who restores your fortunes. We talked about it last week. He's the God that restores your confidence. He's the God of great deeds, right? The question is, do you see him that way? And are you looking for them in your life? Are you looking for the after effects of what it means to have a relationship with God? Because that's one of the ways that we know him, okay? Here's a central application for this message. A central application. Um, Moses says, or God said to Moses, um, Moses, I'm going to give you what you want. But it's not easy, right? It's hard. Think of how hard it is just to know another human being, right? Those of you who are married, oh my goodness, right? How, how hard is it to even know another human being, Right? Uh, how much harder is it to know God? So we often know him through his after effects. And he says, listen, I'm gonna, I want to pass my goodness before you, and I'm going to pass by, and I'm going to show you my goodness, and I'm going to reveal my name to you. And there's a way in which this happens in our everyday lives. Okay, So this is, what, this is my application. This is something that I've been doing maybe for, I don't know how long, a few years or more. So this is just an, a suggestion to you. You could do it any time, but I do it. The last thing I do most nights before I go, I mean, I would go to bed. And I mean, after I've, I'm, I might read a book, I might watch a little something, whatever. But when I'm all done, when I turn the light off, okay? You could do this by yourself or with your spouse. Turn the light off. This is how I end my night. I just want to think about my day. Not about the last year, not about five years ago. I want to think about the day that I just ended. And I want to say this, how can I acknowledge, bring to mind the goodness of God in my life today? Now, you say, well, Robert, are all your days full of good? No, but I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm choosing, I could be thinking about a lot of things. I could be thinking about the coronavirus. I could be thinking about the money problems I have. I could be thinking about this, that, and the other thing. I, you can choose to think about whatever you want to think about. But I'm, I try to end my day and say this, how can I allow the goodness of God to pass before my eyes right now? And what do you think about? Very simple things. Conversations that I've had. You know, I had a conversation with Gary Pastoral. And he said this, that, and the other thing. That was so encouraging. God, thank you for that. Or I observed something that somebody else did that was inspiring. I was at Flower City Work Camp Weekend Edition yesterday. That was one of my things. And it was just so humbling. And so I didn't have very little to do with it, but I just sat there, I prayed, I thought about it. It was, that was the goodness of God. And I said, God, thank you for those 50 people, okay? Sometimes it's something that I read in the Bible, absolutely, or not in the Bible. And it inspired me, it blessed me. I said, God, thank you for that goodness, okay? But all, how do I do this? Number one, he is a God of second chances, God. Oh my goodness, every single day is an opportunity for a second chance. That's what Exodus 34, 6 and 7 tell me. What a beautiful experience. Every single day is, a, is, a, is an opportunity for a second chance. On everything, everything, you have a second chance. Moses, chisel out two more stone tablets and, like the first ones and bring them up the mountain, okay? And every single day is an opportunity for you and me to realize, listen, God is big, bigger than the smartest of us are ever gonna fully cram in our hearts and our heads. 
but we know him by the deeds that he's done. That's why we give testimonies, if I can use that old word, right? Testimonies are very important because they're telling other people and telling yourself about the great things that God has done. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of great deeds. Lastly, he's a God of his word. This is is a tee up to next Sunday. The major revelation that we just looked at, think about this. The major revelation, this is one of the biggest revelations of God. It's not the only one in the Bible. It's less about what Moses sees. It's more about what he hears. It's an auditory revelation, not a visual one. At the end of this chapter, we're going to look at one verse and we're done. He doesn't, Moses doesn't get all done with this and draw a picture. This is what we want to do. That's a, which is why the, that's why it's the, the, the second commandment is a violation in a manner of speaking of drawing a picture, not because God doesn't like art or sculpture, but because it limits, it downsizes God and that hurts us, right? It's making God smaller than he actually is and that, that influences worship, it influences life change, okay? So Moses doesn't get a picture. At the end, he says, listen, I don't want you to draw a picture, I want you to write down some words. Exodus 34, verse 27. This is how it ends. Then the Lord said to Moses, as after it's all said and done, Exodus 34, Write down these words, right? Not draw a picture. Write down these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. According to these words. We'll talk about this next Sunday. You know Jesus Christ, one of his great many names, John's gospel, in the beginning was the picture. No. In the beginning was the word, okay? In accordance to these words. People of God, past and present, find assurance and confidence and power in the words of God. The Apostle Paul will later say in the New Testament, it's in the face of Jesus Christ in contemplating the Lord's glory, Moses says, show me your glory. It's in contemplating the Lord's glory in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 3, that we are transformed. Obviously, that's a metaphor. How do I contemplate the face of Jesus Christ? It's not at the Sistine Chapel okay, or whatever. It's in the word of God. Okay? It's in the word of God. Amen? Let's pray. God and Father, I thank you for the, the time we have this morning just to begin this series of messages. Lord, we are we're in strange times, but certainly not strange for you, Lord. You're not uh, moved in any way by the coronavirus or by the economic downturn or by you know, disease and challenge. These are, these are not new things to you. And Lord, you are alive and well. And you are a God of second chances. I'm so grateful that I can affirm today, Lord, that you are a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. And you say to me, as you said to Moses, you say to us, listen, go, go, go break out some more stones and, and bring them up a second time. Let's do this again. And I'm going to open up my heart to you. And you are a God of love and compassion. 
who, who, who forgives sins, you know, beyond measure, beyond belief to a thousand generations. Lord, this is who you are. Help us, God, to open our lives to you. Help us to run to you, um, to have a perfect love that has no reason to fear because Jesus Christ has borne the punishment of sin. We can come to you, we can run to you, and Lord, help us to be better interpreters of our own life. Help us to look, Lord, where our, where our intellect fails us at times, where our capacities um, are, are limited to understand you. Help us to look at the after effects of what you're doing in our lives. Help us to look for your works and, and, your, and your great deeds and praise you and thank you and to look for your goodness before our eyes. And Lord, thank you that you are a God of your word. Um, thank you for your word. And help us, Father, to open our lives more serious to this word. Help us to be a people that are not defined by what we're against, you know. Help us to be people who are defined by who we are becoming. People that are like Jesus, more like him, who confound people by the way that we love and serve and, um, and give. So we thank you, we love you. Be with us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.